Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the sermon podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu. Today, we begin a new sermon series. It's a natural follow-up to the prayer course. The next several weeks, we explore unanswered prayer. Here's First Pres Senior Pastor, Dan Chun. Okay, so I'm back to preach again. Yes, it's the result of unanswered prayer. <laughs> Today, we start a series on unanswered prayer in sync with the unanswered prayer course by Pete Gregg that Karen mentioned that a number of small groups are starting uh, this week. And, you know, I like Pete's videos a lot. And in some ways, um, this series is even more profound and deeper than the prayer course series we just completed last week. So if you're not in a group, I would say it might be life-changing if you join one. Um, just go online and Google Unanswered Prayer Course by Pete Grigg, and then watch the first video in the series, and you'll see what I mean. There are some incredible, powerful testimonies in it. Unanswered prayer is a really big topic, uh, so big that it was on the front page headlines of USA Today, in fact, just some days ago. It read this. This is what it said. Look at that. Too often, amber alerts leave prayers unanswered. That's the headline. Amazing. The secular world knows the phrase unanswered prayer and attributes it to when things don't work out. And when it comes to unanswered prayer, we may say, you know, it really sucks. We can see tremendous hopes dashed to the rocks. Why is this happening to me? Where is God in this so hang on there. Uh, if I may affirm you, uh, you are actually being so faithful by just asking the question. As Pete Gregg says, it's a sign of faith, not doubt, to wrestle with unanswered prayer. We might feel like a kite battered in the wind, tossed to and fro with doubt, but a kite is normally grounded by someone hanging on to the string. And as long as that person doesn't let go, we have a chance of still flying and maybe even go to higher, more stable heights. The basis of faith is that God has us. He is holding on our lifeline. He is our anchor. He is our grounding. As we just said, great is his faithfulness, not great is my faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. He will be faithful and never let us go. But, Dan, you say, unanswered prayer in my life hurts so much. What am I to do with my doubts or just my questions? As our study sets up the series, we might ask why even talk about unanswered prayer. Here are three reasons. Emotionally, most of us have pain we need to process. Most of us have been disappointed with something we desperately asked God to do, and it did not happen. A loved one not getting well and dying, a pet dying, a marriage falling apart, a job lost and engagement broken, a pregnancy that didn't happen. And I think all of us, if we're honest, have had a disappointment that God didn't answer our prayers. Recently, a 58-year-old friend um, just had a heart attack and uh, he couldn't be revived. 
So I think it's fair to say we begin with all or most of us on the same plane. In unanswered prayer, we have experienced sorrow and sadness, maybe depression, uh, disenchantment, and maybe a lessening faith in God. We need to talk about unanswered prayer because we have pain we need to process. Hence, that's why this series that will go on for some weeks. And then second, intellectually, we may have questions we need answered. Here is the basis of most intellectual struggles. If God is these three things we have been taught, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving, why doesn't he answer my prayer? He is all-knowing, so he should know how much pain I'm in. He's all-powerful, so at any minute he can or should heal or help me. And he's supposed to be all-loving, and if he really loves me, then why isn't he helping me now? And I understand all of those questions. But intellectually, we have to ask the question as we think back over our lives and all of the prayer requests, would we had really wanted all of our prayers answered the way we were asking them? I mean, would winning the lottery really make us happy? Are lottery winners happy? I mean, research says not necessarily. Did we really need $200 million to be happy? If we were really married to all those people we had crushes on from middle school through now, would that have been a good thing? And sometimes things are taken away from us that are good. I really wanted God to save my first marriage, but I'm so much happier being married to Pam. And this year is our 42nd year anniversary. And um, thank you. And without Pam, there would be no Hawaiian Islands Ministries and three great kids. And over the years, she has contributed so much to the ministry of this church in Sunday school, uh, creating small groups, helping me with sermon prep that is often unseen. God had something better for me that I could not have conceived. Now, don't get me in trouble. I'm not saying you should all divorce someone with whom you are having difficulty. There are many who have found that staying in a tough marriage was actually the best thing for them. The third and last reason we should talk about unanswered prayer is that culturally, we, sadly, the church, can be less honest than the Bible. Church with big C. We need to be honest about our doubts. And fortunately, we have always said that our church is a hospital for sinners and um, not a museum of perfect saints. And from this pulpit, we have heard church staff and members talk about their failed marriages, doubts, diseases, depression, teenage pregnancies, and being sexually abused. Life is messy. And there, have been un there has been unanswered prayer when we thought we needed it, but we talk about it. Authenticity and thoughtfulness are two of our five church core values as stated on our website. To be authentic and thoughtful means we have to be real, not fake it, and realize there are no easy answers. We can have doubt and still be a follower of Jesus, even though we've seen many of his miracles. 
I find it interesting, we miss this in what is called the Great Commission passage. In the last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, who has been resurrected, calls the remaining 11 disciples to meet him just before he takes off. And it's recorded in Matthew 28, and it includes a phrase that a lot of people miss. Here's what it says. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. What? How could some of them have doubted? They'd lived with him for three years, seen him perform miracle after miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, the casting out of demons, the walking on water, the changing from water into wine. He has just been raised from the dead. He's talking to them, and yet they still have doubts? So it's like he's just a Houdini? Can we believe our eyes? But let's not dump on the disciples. I think we all have actually seen a lot of miracles or acts of grace of God in our lives, but we can still have doubts when the latest prayer is unanswered. We can have fear and anxiety. But God, our gracious God, understands this and has compassion for us. I did a phrase check in the Bible, and the phrase, be not afraid, comes up 245 times in the Bible. We have a lot of fears, and we need to hear God's voice saying to us over and over again, be not afraid. Life is hard. I love what the Apostle Paul says in a letter to the Corinthian church. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. God won't always answer our prayers the way we want him to because what we ask for may not be the best. And we don't have the long view or, nor the heavenly 30,000-foot view. We are limited, and we have a puny intellect and vision when it comes to God. Sometimes our prayers are like a five-year-old talking to a nuclear physicist and then some. We are five-year-olds asking a wise adult why we can't drive the car or run with knives in our hands. Or more serious, why didn't you save my mom from crashing in a car? It's hard to explain to a young child the realities of life. If a five-year-old asks a scientist to explain quantum physics, it's really hard. And sometimes we ask for knowledge or perspective, but remember, we're talking to a God who knows the answer, knows our pain, but due to our, our limited um, intellect and spirituality, he can't fully explain it to our small minds. So when I'm faced with disappointment in unanswered prayer, I go through the proverbial list of God's three attributes. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving. 
First, God is all-knowing. Okay, he knew my mom would be sick. Why didn't he save her? Um, for those of you who are new to our fellowship, my mom died of lung cancer. Uh, but then I go to the next part of the trilogy of God's attributes. If God is supposed to be all-powerful, so he could have saved my loved one, but he didn't. Why? And friends, just know we may never get the answer when the doubts hit the first two aspects of God, that he is all-knowing and all-powerful, and why didn't he help me? It's only when we focus on the third part of the dilemma that we can get some solace. God is all-loving. Yes, God is all-powerful and all-knowing, but he is also all-loving. So for that big pulsating reason, we need to trust God that whatever he is doing in our lives, however he, however he allows something or causes something, that he loves us. And what clues do we have that, that he really does love us? Well, the cross reminds us he died for us. He was tortured in our place. He removed our sin by his sacrificial death so that our loved ones and ourselves would have a chance of having everlasting life together if we choose to follow him. In a sense, we need his stamp on our passport, the stamp that says, I shall follow you, Lord, all the rest of my life, and indeed you're an all-loving God. We need his blood in our bodies for he gave his blood as a transfusion for us. And we see that in the sacrament of communion, which we're going to have in a moment. I want to read a scripture for us and ask you to stand now, if you're able, as uh, we hear me read it, as it is a gospel reading. It's from the Gospel of Matthew in the fourth chapter in the uh, first verse. Here it is. Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. All right, please be seated. The word of the Lord. Now, I just want to say a few short things. Yes, I know this is the second Sunday in a row talking about Satan. But isn't it interesting that in our passage, Jesus is having a 40-day fast, and we're just beginning ours. 
And if you want to hear why I think it's important to talk about our enemy, listen to last week's sermon. But I would say it's good to know a bit about your enemy. And that is why the military spends billions to gather intel on our enemies. That is why the Secret Service spends billions to root out counterfeit money. But did you know they don't necessarily study what fake money looks like? Instead, they learn what real money looks like to determine what the fake is. And if you case you don't know what fake money looks like, here is what is called chun bucks. <laughs> it's being printed all over the world. Or if you think it's all about me, here's what is called Roselia currency. <laughs> Now, Rick Walkinshaw, I don't know if he's here today, um, is a church member and used to be a supervisor of the Secret Service in Hawaii that arrested people for making counterfeit currency. And he has studied for hours those two Chun Roselia books that you have seen and has finally determined that they are indeed fake. There is no such thing as him or, uh, uh, not him, Chun or Roselia Bucks. Um, and I didn't want him to know who, like, who made those dollar bills because Mark and Vicky Leepick would be embarrassed. <laughs> and I know Rick always carries handcuffs. But back to my Bible passage. Satan gives the counterfeit reasons of why people complain about unanswered prayer, but those reasons are not from God. Notice in our passage that the Holy Spirit sends Jesus into the wilderness and Satan. Why would the Holy Spirit do that? I've always wondered about that. Talk about unanswered prayer. I believe that Jesus was to meet Satan for just the reasons the Secret Service studies fake money. Jesus would meet Satan head on and get to know his schemes and strategies of misusing scripture that he would use to tempt Christians and other people to this day. Jesus would know Satan is counterfeit. The devil doesn't accept the real currency of the Lord, which says on the back, in God we trust. By the way, um, in Genesis, the devil appeared as a snake, tempting Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And I've always thought, You know, if Adam and Eve were Chinese, the world would have been safe today because Adam and Eve would have eaten the snake. <laughs> Chinese eat everything, like chicken feet, I've heard monkey brains, even dogs, horrible. Okay, that's my sweet and sour joke for today. Okay, back to the story. Focus, focus, everyone. So here's how Satan tempts Jesus and tempts us when we think we have unanswered prayer. In the first temptation, Jesus asks Jesus to immediately change a multitude of stones into bread, make it a pop-up bakery, like croissants everywhere. This is what I call the temptation to live by instant gratification. Um, we might have a slide on that. So we're saying, appease my hunger immediately. Take away my pain immediately. Bring me what I want immediately. And if we're tempted that way, and if God doesn't answer our prayers immediately, if he doesn't show his power right now, we get disappointed in God. If he doesn't appease my inner human desires, that could be hunger or thirst or whatever the big thing I want, then it must be unanswered prayer. 
If you don't take away my grief, my pain, my addiction immediately, then it's unanswered prayer, and I won't believe in you. Those are the lies of the devil. Jesus answers Satan with scripture by saying people can't live by bread alone, right? What people really need to eat is the word of God, says our Lord. Then you will learn more of God's ways that take time and patience and wisdom. And that's a repeat of last week's sermon, isn't it? When I said, eat the word of God, the Bible, every day. Use, I suggested, the one-year chronologic, the one-year Bible, one-year chronological Bible uh, that I talked about. Day by day, read through the entire Bible in a year. It's a slower growth, a slower crock pot of prayer, and not an instant feeding. By the way, if you do get the Bible, get the New Living Translation spec. So it's like training for a marathon. There's no instant training for a marathon, right? I mean, you can ask Christian and Zoe Schroppel about that. And, and that's true for a marathon spiritual life. The second temptation of the devil is what I call the temptation to live by the spectacular. The devil challenges Jesus to go to the top of a temple and then jump down to see how the angels will catch him just at the last second before he crashes and dies. Wouldn't that be spectacular? Maybe Satan is saying that after Jesus, you jump, do some backflips like an Olympic diver and curls and somersaults with an angelic landing like an Olympic gymnast. Boom. Make it spectacular. This is the temptation of the spectacular. You know, I, you've heard me say before, I really dislike televangelists who make a big show of healing. You know, they'll swing a coat and tens of people fall down, scream and yell. People bounce out of their wheelchairs walking, and then they ask for $5,000, and then you'll get a blessing, and someday you can drive fancy cars, wear expensive suits. Prosperity gospel. Sometimes when we don't get a spectacular healing or an amazing windfall or of money, let's say, we say it's unanswered prayer. Our healing services, services, which we will have hopefully a couple more before I leave, are gentle and lowly, non-spectacular, loving. And yes, people still get healed. Maybe not all physically healed, but all will feel loved and sense God's presence in a new way and feel spiritually uplifted. The third and final temptation is the temptation of power and influence. The devil shows Jesus the entire world and says, worship me and you can have all of this. And Jesus responds, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And that's the hard thing for us Americans. We're always going after false gods. Now, notice that Satan always quotes scripture, but, but, but perverts it, its, its intent and meaning. But Jesus always retorts with scripture accurately. It's another reason you should all be reading the Bible, as the Lord says. So you know when people are wrongly misinterpreting it, and when the father of lies, the deceiver, is trying to mess you up. The temptation of power and influence can make us complain more about unanswered prayer because when we are not powerful, we feel God is letting us down. And we may think, why am I not the most popular person in school? Or why can't I be rich and powerful or well-known and influential? I want a nice home and a nice car. Why didn't I get a seat at the corporate table? Why didn't I get a key and be promoted to the C-suite, so to speak? And we can think it's unanswered prayer 
that Jesus doesn't give us the power and influence we desire, but God sometimes doesn't give us what we want because he has tried to save us from the entanglements of the world. And sometimes we can sell our soul to the devil to get something, but Jesus is saying in our ears, you must only worship me, not the false gods of pleasure or money or status or control or power. What is the inscription of the most powerful ring in the world in the Lord of the Rings? Well, in Elvish, the language of the elves translated from the black speech of Mordor, it is, as you all know, it goes like this, or if you don't know Elvish, which I've waited 40 years to say in a sermon. <laughs> in English, it is one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all and into the darkness, and in the darkness bind them. This is the danger of the temptation of power. You want to rule them all, but it is in darkness you will fall. We must only worship Jesus, not money, not power, not status or influence, not popularity, nor success, nor the American dream. Jesus Christ, who is fully human and fully God, the Messiah, the Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, came to earth, and did you notice, he lived simply and humbly. He was born into a poor family. In fact, they were so poor, did you notice, that when his parents went to make a sacrifice for him at the temple in Jerusalem, they could not even afford a lamb or, or a, a calf, but only the cheap turtle doves. When he was grown up, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples like a slave. He hung out with drunkards and gluttons and prostitutes. The book of Isaiah, chapter 53, in the Old Testament predicted that the Messiah, what the Messiah would be like, and this was indeed the life of Jesus. Here it says in Isaiah 53, my servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There is nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. That's why he's empathetic to our prayers. But we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised. We didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment from his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he didn't open his mouth. 
unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. When we pray, know that this is the character of the Lord who listens to our prayers. We are his descendants, so to speak, whom he loves very, very much. You suffer, he knows suffering. You know hardship and physical pain, He knows crucifixion. You know injustice? He was unjustly tried and convicted. You know betrayal? Three of his inner circle disciples, Judas Iscariot, Thomas, and his beloved Peter, doubted and denied him. You lost a loved one? Jesus cried heavily when his friend Lazarus died and had compassion on his mother as he hung on the cross. And after Jesus met the devil, notice at the end of the passage how angels ministered to him. God and his angels are always ministering to us in our unanswered prayer. God is there. We just need to open our eyes and our ears. It might be an unexpected friend calling or sending an email. It might be something you read or a song you heard maybe even a sermon. God is whispering to us all the time, but we just need to be alert enough to say, oh, that was God. Or maybe that was his angel. Even when things don't go our way, know that God has a reason, but that he loves you very, very much. And someday you might get a glimpse of the reason, but for now, just know that he loves you. And know this, he's always watching over you, and get this, praying for you to protect you from your doubt and from Satan. Yes, Jesus prays to God the Father for his people. How do we know this? For he said to the apostle Simon, who later became renamed and known as Peter, he said this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Imagine even when the devil is at work, Jesus is praying for us. And later he calls Simon Peter, meaning the rock, Peter would become so sturdy and strong like a boulder that he would help others and lead the early church. And for all of our suffering, someday when we fully turn away from those doubts, which is what repentance means, literally, metanoia, to turn away, we will be able to strengthen others. And that's the goal. It's not all about us. We have all sinned. We all have doubts, 
we have all felt there's unanswered prayer. But actually, Jesus has been praying for us the whole time. And his prayers are always answered for us as he talks to the Heavenly Father on our behalf. Amen? Amen. Amen. And just before I give the final benediction, visitors, uh, you have free espresso at the espresso uh, coffee bar in the other wing. Please go there. All of you are, are welcome to uh, Ohana's Ministries, um, Ohana Sunday hot dogs and wonderful food down there. If you want to pray with somebody, the Holy Spirit may have talked to you about something, whether spiritually, emotionally, or physically. The prayer team will meet with you right outside those glass doors and would love to pray with you. And I hope those are all the announcements. But if not, here's the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart the wonderful love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you all. Ahui ho for those of you online. See us next week. Mahalo for joining us. See you next Sunday. God is sovereign. He's loving, all-knowing, and all-powerful. Knowing these aspects of our God helps us to understand why sometimes our prayers seem to go unanswered. If you want to catch up on or listen again to previous services, visit our websites, fpchawaii.org and thevinehawaii.org. You can also find First Press sermons on most major podcast services and on YouTube. Please join First Press for church. We meet in person and online. Services are Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at the Ko'olau campus, 10 a.m. at The Vine in Kaka'ako, or online on our websites. And remember, when you visit the website, check out the news page to keep up with everything that's happening at First Pres. You can also sign up for emails, listen to or watch sermons, and lots more. Also on the website, you can find the latest info on Pastor Dan's retirement and the transition that it brings. Also remember, if there's anything First Pres can do for you, please reach out through the website or just call the church at 808 808- Five three two one 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 one. For Senior Pastor Dan Chun and the entire staff at First Pres, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you, stay safe, and thank you for listening. This sermon podcast is copyright 2023 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu.